Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. We are part of the church of the living God. We're not a parachurch. We're the church of the living God, which is the pillar of and the ground of truth. This where it's, it's a place where people should be able to come and get truth. You don't get truth from the world. Uh, we're, we're, we're a structured church, meaning that we're ordered to follow what the Bible says. We're, we're Bible believers. That means the Bible's our final authority, and we try to order our lives in the way that we teach and preach through what God says. Um, we're also part of a church that Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we're on the winning side. There's nothing we have to worry about. The world goes haywire. We're part, we're part of the church, the living God, the pillar and God of truth. And Jesus said, you don't have to worry about anything. Gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. And I'm proud and privileged to be a part of the church. Um, the church nowadays, the so-called church nowadays, though, has been... Uh, has turned into a bit of a, a social organization. It's been turned into a place of money collection. It's been turned into a place for men to say, you know what, I can probably get a good retirement fund out of this thing. That's not the church. Now, that is a, an organization that's putting it off to be a church, but it isn't. And in 2022, I want to make sure we get our minds connected to the word of God and our hearts connected to what makes a scriptural and biblical and phenomenal church for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in first Corinthians chapter number 15, we're going to go over a few of them. I had to trim my notes because as I started to go through this, I found so many that we'd be here for a few hours, but this is what the Lord has given me to give to you for this morning. First Corinthians 15. The Bible says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you've received and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. You know, we keep in memory a lot of things. <laughs> we, we keep in memory. Well, we've got karate class on Monday and Wednesday. We keep in memory. Well, we've got this show. We got to make sure we turn the recorder on because we don't want to miss that. We keep in memory a lot of things. What makes a great church? What makes a biblical church? We keep in memory the gospel and how we're going to get it out to others. We're not a social club. <laughs> we are the church of the living God. We, we remember fellowships. If the church has two or three fellowships a year, it's packed. And I'm not against that. I'm part of the packing. I want to be there. I want to have a good time. I want a fellowship. I think that's healthy. I think that's good. But not at the expense of filtering everything out of your else out of church life that needs to do with gospel and getting it out. The fellowship should be a time of refreshment. The, tele, the, the fellowship should be a time of unwinding. And it's the between innings in the dugout. It's the between rounds when the cut man's just kind of fixing you up. It's the Let's just take a little break. Let's get refreshed so that we can get back out into the fight. That's what the fellowship's designed for. 
because quite honestly, when you're ministering to this lost and dying world, it will beat you up. And you need some recovery between rounds. If, you, if you're raising kids or you've already raised kids, you know that when it's time to break up the round and everybody just take a break to get debrief, you know, just kind of decompress and then be able to come back stronger. But we can't forget, we must remember that the gospel is the most important thing. And the devil really doesn't care how many church buildings that are in town. He doesn't even really care that people are getting together and necessarily talking about things of faith. But he sure does get real antsy when you go out and try to preach the gospel. And when you take it outside of the four walls, <laughs> the idea of you do you <laughs> isn't it's it's we should do what Christ wants. We have a me centered generation and we need to get it focused on the gospel. Um, go down to verse number 12 in first Corinthians. Now, Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain? Yea, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet dead. In your sins. People are dropping in. They're dying and dropping into the depths of hell. And what I'd like to key in on. The most important part of the gospel. Can we all agree that the gospel is the good news? Can we all agree that. We being sinners is bad news. Can we all agree that it's very gory. That Christ had to die on a cross and shed his blood. And that sounds pretty bad. Can we all agree that we're on our way to hell before we trusted Christ because of our sin and God is righteous in doing so? Can we all agree that that's bad news? But the good news is he didn't stay dead. Where's Joseph Smith? He's still in the grave. Where's the Buddha? He's still in the grave. Where's Mary Baker Eddy? She's still in the grave. Where's Ellen White? She's still in the grave. Up from the grave, heroes. We have a risen Savior. And that's the good news. And bad news is only bad news if there is no good news. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's the most important part of the gospel. Tell people they're a sinner and they're lost. They're on their way to hell. But you got to give them the good news. We have a living, resurrected Savior. Verse number 20 of 1 Corinthians. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Here's the verse. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. A true biblical scriptural great church keeps the main thing the main thing. And they never leave the good news. Of the gospel and the resurrection that includes the resurrection 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Without a resurrection, there is no gospel. Romans chapter 3. I know this is very familiar, but it's good to review the familiar Romans 3 verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all going out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are not their way in the way of peace. Have they not known? There is no fear of God. Before their eyes think better live better every day of friday your best life now you can you will you are stronger than you think all that's babble it's psycho babble from false preachers <laughs> when you write books like that and try to pass yourself off as a minister all you're doing is deceiving god's people how about a title your feet are swift to shed blood <laughs> and every day isn't a friday because your mouth is full of cursing you, not you, but we as Americans have been sold this brand of American Christianity that says it's all about you. And church isn't about us. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church isn't the people. It's the body of Christ in which people have been placed into. It's all about Christ. We must remember that. All of the stuff we just read in Romans chapter 3. You want to be a great church, a scriptural church, a biblical church. We need to remind people that's who they are. And they need a savior to help them with that problem. Verse 19, now we know in Romans 3, that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. A scriptural church is loving and caring and gracious when it tells them, that you're guilty before God. It would be uncaring if we let this world just go on with their life thinking that they're okay with God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest to be witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, Unto all and upon all them that believe there is no difference for all of sin to come short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We don't want somebody going before God, dying in this town and going before God and saying, you know what, I want to redo because he's not going to get a redo. I'm kind of sick of doing redos. We built this house and the doors are all, they don't all line up. And so you look at it and the doors don't line up. We had a guy come out and fix the front door so there's no big draft that just sucks all the heat out. And you you think to yourself, well, I'm paying for this twice. Don't you hate redos? Because somebody, somebody told you something. You believed them. And now you got to go back and redo it. I'm telling you, somebody dies and they stand before God without the Lord Jesus Christ. 
God, can I have a redo? There's no redo. When you drive fence posts, they have these machines now where it'll just hit it in like a hammer. So you drive these fence posts. You know what one of the most important parts of fencing is? Where the gate goes. Because if you've got an eight-foot gate and you drive those two posts and it's too wide, a little land can get out. You've not secured that land. But the fence is already stretched. It's already there. The hardest part you might be able to pull a line post out and re-situate it. But you get those gate posts and they got the H brace and all that, you got yourself a mess of redo. I don't like redos. You get a little lamb gets out. Now that lamb's lost. You gotta try to get it in through the what was supposed to be a narrow way. <laughs> it's too wide. And I'm telling you, the wide way just lets people go out. It's too broad, and they just they bring it into a narrow way. Got to make sure that gate. It's not. There's no redo. There's no redo when somebody dies. We want to be a great church. We should have in the forefront of our mind that when we look out in our community and see that people are dying and going to hell, that in their life, if they were to die, there's no redo. There is none. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. I want to have that mindset. Let's get Ephesians 5 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's look at something else that I really believe would make us on the path to be a great church. I want to be a great church. How about you, church? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 5 and 2 Corinthians. We'll do Ephesians 5 first. Ephesians chapter 5 we'll do first. Let's read in verse number 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For, ye, for this ye know, no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And it goes on, let no man deceive you. Are you a follower of God? Are you a child of God? None of these things should be mentioned in our life. It shouldn't have any allowance at all. And I'm all for anybody coming to church. But the modern philosophy that says, hey, just come as you are. That's fine. We agree with that. But what that really means is come as you are. Keep the flip flops. Keep the casual attitude. Keep the smart mouth. Keep the rebellion against God and his word. And there's no really reason for you to change. You just come on. You just come as you are. Meaning, well, if you're living with someone you're not married to, well, just come on. Just come as you are. There's no reason for you to change. Just come on. Now, look, the whole come on part we're with. Come as you are. But our philosophy is don't stay as you are. 
If you're a fornicator, you should be uncomfortable here. If you're living your life with a filthy mouth, you should be uncomfortable from the preaching of God's word because God's word says, well, it tells us if you are a saved person, number one, it shouldn't even have any part in life at all as becometh saints. No filthiness, no foolish talking. To be a great church, to be a Bible-believing church, people that come that are sinning should be under conviction and they should be uncomfortable. And if they are uncomfortable, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because the word of God is convicting them. The Elevation Church preacher, he says, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. What Jesus are you following, buddy? <laughs> it reveals who you've been all along. What would it be like to see the you that God sees? That's a bunch of psycho mumbo jumbo. God's going to see what you really are. and He's going to say you're filthy, you're unclean. He wants to change you. And only the word of God can. So this idea that we can just come to church and there should be no conviction. It would not be a biblical church. It would not be. And I want to be a biblical church. And I trust you do as well. Second Corinthians chapter six. Second Corinthians six. Verse number 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concordeth Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? See all those contrasts? Very clear. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. When you work in the dirt with your hands, does the dirt get handy or do your hands get dirty? Because the unclean always messes up the clean. You know that your hands get dirty. That you don't come away and the dirt has some handy in it. There's this principle that God puts forth that says, look, if you're going to fellowship. You better be careful of giving your fellowship time with extremes. You're the temple of the living God. And there's another temple. Because not after long, the dirty is going to affect the clean. The unrighteous is going to affect the righteous. So our relationship to the world is one of ministry. It's a battle. It's a fight. We have some armor that we have to put on. So that we can affect them. You want to make a bad church good? You want to make a good church great? We got to get this principle of clean and unclean. Being separate. We live separated lives. That doesn't mean we isolate ourselves. And we're just in our little hut. And nobody can get to us. It means when we go out into that world, we know what the battle is. We try to minister to them the best we can. We have to be careful who we are fellowshipping with. If you want to, 
Y'all heard the saying, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You get a boy and you just look at his friends and the boys are doing bad stuff. and You kind of mark it down that yours is going to be doing bad stuff. That's why you want to get around good folk, good Christian folk. They're going to challenge you to think different, live different, act different, talk different, dress different, work different. Well, work, you have to say nowadays. <laughs> Forget about working different. It's just, you know, just get out there and work. It used to be a job well done. Now it's just a job done. <laughs> you don't have to have the well in there. There's some separation. It won't be like Paul separated under the gospel of God. And it's going to make a great church. We're on the Lord's side. The Lord purchased you. The Lord bought you. And let's rejoice that we're on the winning side. And keep that focus of separation. Acts chapter number five. Acts chapter number five. A great church is a church that fears God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood. Fear God. Pretty simple biblical truth. Today, there doesn't really seem to be too much concern on fearing God. People just want to look at God as he's just this uh, God, this vending machine God of love. I need a little snuggle hug, put my quarter in for God. He's going to give me some love. Well, God is a God of love, but God should be someone that should be reverently feared. And this fear of God is just absolutely gone. And in Acts chapter number five, we all know the we all know the story. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession and kept that part of the price. His wife also being privy to it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And I, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. Now, praise the Lord that that doesn't happen nowadays. Or should we be saying praise the Lord? You realize as much as I do, this was for a time, this whole transitional period that's happening. And God's not striking people down dead anymore when they lie. But. It certainly would put the fear of God in you, wouldn't it? <laughs> you can read this story to your children and draw some application, but it's not going to be too long before they're old enough to realize, yeah, I've lied before and God hasn't. I've not died. And how many times have we've lied or fudged the truth or kept back a part of the story and God's not striked us down. And so we just took the licenses. Go ahead. I'm telling you, this really happened. You believe the Bible? This really happened. If I lie to God, you lie to God, no matter how big or small the lie is, you can pretty much mark it down. We're not going to drop down dead. So do we use that as an excuse to not fear God or we just read this and believe that, wow, that was a serious offense to God. And that is still a serious offense to God, even though I won't, my children won't be just drop dead. We need to be a church. If we're going to be a scriptural church and a biblical church, a church that reverently fears a powerful, almighty creator, God. 
people don't feel God anymore. First Corinthians five. Because of that. Because no one fears God anymore. The church is backtracked and there is no church discipline doesn't exist. That's a bad word. That's a dirty word. That's why it's set up. Just come as you are. You can live how you want, act like act how you want, and you just don't have to worry. We won't judge you. The last part of the Bible that I want to be in as a pastor with somebody is 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. I don't want to be there. But what it says in verse number 9, I write unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with covetous or extortioners or with idolaters. Then must ye needs go out in the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. Any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. Well, that's mean. It's biblical. It's calling it's, it's called being biblically mean. <laughs> okay. Because God says, if you have a fornicator that's active in the church, you know who's in trouble? My wife. You know who's in trouble? Men, your wife. You know who's in trouble? Ladies, your husband. Because the unclean affects the clean. And it's not being mean for the sake of being mean. It's being biblical. So that God's people can be protected. And that's why God has church discipline and it's a very short list a guy's extorting money and stealing from a brother or sister and he doesn't want to pay him back it's not going to be long until they steal from your family and so god has this in the bible to protect his people but because people don't fear god they feel there's no reason to have that in the bible let's just preach right over them and you know a lot of these modern guys do they're just going to preach right over it. You just come on. You're an idolater. It's fine. Just come on. We won't even mention it. We're just going to encourage you. Except there's no redo. We got to keep that in mind. But a great church will fear God. In Joshua 6 and 7, Achan's sin affect Israel. It wasn't just Achan. He's fighting right alongside with Joshua. God said, you not don't take any of the spoils, except Achan had a better idea. It affects the camp. It affects the camp. And God put 1 Corinthians 5 in the Bible, not just because those folks were having problems, but so that we, right now today, would have a way of handling problems if we needed to. The idea of church discipline isn't to be mean. It's to bring a brother or sister back to restored fellowship. Not just bring them into fellowship and let them sit there and act like, hey, it's okay. No, it's not okay. And we want to restore you to a right relationship. I want to be a biblical church. I don't want to ever have to go here. But I fear God enough that if I ever had to, I would. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at a few more. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 
Some people ask me, do you, do you, do you prepare sermons? And I always say, are you doing sermon prep? I always say when I hear that, I don't prepare sermons. I study the Bible. And there's a difference. Because studying the Bible will prepare you to be able to feed God's people. Now, I know as a byproduct, that's sermon prep, and I'm not saying I'm against that. What I'm saying is, in this point, a biblical church, a scriptural church, studies the Bible. And it's the only Bible, it's the only version that actually has the word study in it. It's the only version that compels you to study God's word. Any men that come and teach on the word of God, we expect you to study the word of God. And I understand a result, a byproduct of that will be a prepared sermon. I'm not saying just come, you know, and wing it. What I'm saying is study, study, study. As we see in uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, it says, study. Why? To show thyself approved unto who? Unto God. A workman. That means it's work that needeth not to be ashamed because it would be shameful if you don't study God's word and give up and try to and try to give God's people something. It's a shameful thing. You need to labor in the word. You need to study the word. You need to pray about what you're studying. Why? So that you rightly, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what these modern versions say? Well, just do your best. My best isn't good enough. Be diligent. Okay, I want to be diligent. God wants us to study. I'm telling you, if I give you something, study it out. Don't take my word for it. We're still working on the library. And I know we've been saying we've been working on the library for six months. But we're, we want to get it done within the next two months. We've got books all over the place. i got books at the house. And I get... But we want to get that library set up back there so that you have access to materials that you can study. You can you can read this. Well, we don't read books. We just read the Bible. We'll read a book about the Bible and filter it through the Bible and see if it helps you. But there's men that know more about the Bible than I do and you do. They're books. They bring me the books. I read some books. This was, by the way, the, the two Babylons I was telling you about that story. You read all a bunch of fun stuff in here. We got a bunch of books. The Bible says to study to show yourself proof unto God. Now, again, we need to be careful. We don't read books at the expense of, the, of studying the Bible. What I'm saying is there's good men that wrote good commentary, that have good thoughts as they go through the Bible. We should be studying so that we're approved unto God. You want to be a great church? I do. Men. Women, children, don't rely on me to study the Bible and just give you something that you're good. You read it, study it, believe it, get a hold of it, teach it to somebody else. Or our church will never duplicate beyond what I can do or what you can do. I was sent out of a New Testament church that was taught to study the Bible. And a byproduct of that will be, yes, you have something prepared. A byproduct of that will be, yes, 
Now you can have a reproducing New Testament church. It's the idea of the same. Acts 8. Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. If you want to be a biblical church, be ready for some persecution. Somebody might tease you. Young people, somebody might say to you, why are you dressing that way? Somebody might say to you, why do you got to talk about Jesus? And that's probably... Because we live in America, that's probably going to be the extent of your persecution. <laughs> the worst that I had it here was standing on a street corner downtown on the square that's very safe in Cookville, Tennessee. But the worst I've had it here was uh, a Church of Christ preacher just ripping into me, telling me that I'm on my way to hell because I don't believe that water saves. And all the churches that believe the same are on their way to hell. And he really let me, my wife, and kids have. That was the worst that I've had it here. <laughs> had it a little worse down in Florida because it's not really the South. You pass the border and you enter into, you know, dismal land. But even with that, the worst I had was someone try to stick a dog on me, flick some beer at me, and try to spit at me. That was that's the worst I've had it. And I'd probably trust that that's the worst you're going to have. I'm telling you, we got to be prepared and ready and okay with some persecution coming our way and be willing to be persecuted by people who hate God. And it's okay if they unfriend you. Ravenhill said it best. The early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. It's a, it's, a, it's a great quote and a great sermon that he preached. And it's the truth. It doesn't get any purer than that. Acts chapter 8, verse 8. Looks what happens, though. By the time you get to verse 8, watch what's in that city. There was great joy in that city. Verse number 4, let me back up a bit. They were scattered abroad, went everywhere. Preaching the word. You get persecuted, go preach the word. Someone laughs at you, go preach the word. Someone tells you you ought not be doing it or I got a better way. You try to see if, they have, if they're going to do the better way that they're so zealous about. Which they never do. You shouldn't be doing it that way. Well, what way should I be doing it? And they don't have an answer. Or if they do, I say, okay, well, come alongside me and show me how you do it. And they never do. It's just people that hate God or want to criticize you for trying to do something for God can always find the fault. Someone taught me years ago, years ago, martial art teacher, and it was wisdom. I had messed up. I had done something I shouldn't all to do, and it got back to him. I tell you, he lit me up that week. And after he was done lighting me up, he brought me aside after class and he said, Jimmy, here's what I want to leave you with. You can do a hundred right things in your life. 
But if you mess up one time, for some reason, that's what everybody remembers. And he said, his character training was a big part of the martial arts training. He said, your character is at stake. And when you make a dumb decision and you get involved with the wrong people, it's going to affect your reputation and your character. Character matters. Amen. And the gospel doesn't change. But if your character changes and you try to give somebody the gospel, they're more inclined to brush it off if you have poor character. They're more inclined to receive it or at the very least just appreciate that you took the time to tell them something that they might disagree with. But because they know your character, they at least received it. I'm telling you, character matters. It won't save anybody, but it matters. And they went abroad preaching the word and eight, verse eight, great joy. And this world's full of despair. I want to be part of a church family that has some joy. I want to be in relationships that have some joy. I want to have fun serving God. I want the children to have good memories being able to serve the Lord. And it's tied to the first verse. Persecution came. It didn't stop them. They preached the word. They didn't preach the word and were miserable. You get to verse 8. They're happy. They're full of joy. And that's the way it ought to be. You want to be a scriptural church? Don't just cheer for your favorite baseball team. Don't get excited when the hockey team wins. Cheer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Somebody got saved over the weekend. Praise God. It's a new year. There's new souls to reach. There should be some joy. Yeah, but someone's going to tease me. Who cares? Somebody's going to write a comment on the social media. Get used to it. You're not going to be liked by this world. They hate God and as a result, hate you. You think censorship is anything new because Zucker, the, the Zucker man and, and, the, and the YouTube and the Twitters and all that? Come on. It's nothing new. What was happening in the book of Acts? They didn't take a picture of it, put it on social media and give a sad face and write a little, you know, a story that. I mean, praise God, we can do that. We can keep in touch with Brother Lee because social media and missionaries can stay in touch and that's great it's a great tool they didn't have that in acts they kept on preaching the word and they had some joy in the midst of persecution and the last thing i'd like to look before we look at one final thought but the last thing in acts chapter 8 watch what happens by the time you get to let's read verse 10 to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying this man is the great power of god and to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. So, Simon the sorcerer here. Where do I want to get to? Verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Okay, here's where, where it is. And the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. And the point I'm trying to make is. A scriptural church, you have people believing 
and then getting baptized. Not because they were saved, but because they are saved. I want to be a great church. I want to be a scriptural church. I want to be a biblical church. Do you? We should be seeing people get baptized. Not in order to be saved, but because they are saved. See the pattern there? Persecution. Well, we just keep preaching the word. What's the result of that? Joy. Keep preaching the word. What's the result of that? People believe. And then what's the result of that? They get baptized. Isn't that a beautiful model? Right out of the, right out of the word of God. That's why it's so important to study, 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 study. All right, last one. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter nine, please. Second Corinthians chapter nine. Before we read this, you have heard me say many times that we're not going to pass an offering plate around. And I usually qualify that that saying, if you have in your mind a church or somebody you know that passes an offering plate, we're not saying that they're wrong or being sinful or somehow trying to extort money out of people. We just don't pass an offering plate around because we don't want to give any appearance that we're trying to use an emotional appeal to bribe somebody into giving. Plate comes to you. Will somebody put in a dollar? I'm going to put in two dollars. Somebody. We just want to take all that away. Now, if somebody else does it different, they're not wrong, and they've got a different idea in their head and a different motive, praise God. He wants you to be able to make a way for his people to be able to give to his work. Whatever that way is that a church does, fine. It means you can give online. You can give in an offering box. You can give in an offering plate. But we don't make strong emotional type appeals for money. This is what we say. God has more money than you. God has more money than me. God has more money than us. I am not going to ask you to give your money to God. I am going to ask you to go to God and say, God, how much would you have me give? It's between you and God. I can come up with flowery sermons. But it says here, and I want us to get a hold of this, because a scriptural church, a biblical church, a great church is a giving church. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse six. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And here's the verse we have on the offering box for every man, according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. It doesn't say every man, according as he was persuaded by a preacher. And it doesn't say. Uh, for, for, for the church loveth cheerful givers For the preacher loveth cheerful givers For the person you're sitting next to well, No, it says for God Why are you giving? Why am I giving? Because of God He loves a cheerful giver And he gave his life for you And he has provided you With the financial means To live your life so rich 
so rich. How many of you today, right now, could honestly say, if my house came down in the tornadoes that were supposed to come by yesterday that never did, and praise God they didn't, you can honestly say, I'm going to continue to preach the word. And look, no, who's going to have joy that their house came down? None of us. But you should not lose your joy. And you should not lose the cheerfulness that you should have to give to the work of God. Because God came down and lost everything. He gave his life. He is a suffering servant, a man of sorrows. And gave everything for you. And we have a hard time. $30 a month on McDonald's. Or Mac dog food. That's what I tell my kids. Say, Dad, are we going to McDog food? No. <laughs> they say Americans spend $175 a month on subscriptions. You know, the Netflix and the. And the cable, and by the time you all put that down, that's what they say. They say they spend $100 a month on cell phone. Well, I need some of that stuff. Okay, but if it's at the expense of giving to the Lord's work, what's more important? The gospel going out or making sure that you don't lose your, your connection for a few hours? Coming into a new year, I want to get our hearts and minds prepared on what's most important. I want to be a great church. And if we're a bad church, I want to be a good church. If we're a good church, I want to be a great church. So wherever we are on the, I want to do better. And I believe that we can as we come in through the new year, our minds fixed on the most important thing. Let's stop wasting time. Let's stop wasting money on things that don't matter. And let's put them into, let's put more into eternal value. For 2022. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.